Hi. <laughs> Gather your attention back together. Okay, uh, we believe in uh, hearing from the Word of God, from the Scriptures, and uh, Steve's going to be uh, preaching uh, to us this morning about being disciples, as we're in a short series on the subject of discipleship. Um, most of you, I think, looking around will know who Steve is. For those of you who don't, Steve uh, uh, planted the church here a while ago, <laughs> a bit more than 25 years ago, and uh, and has been involved and still as a member of the church here, despite having much wider involvements in uh, what God's doing actually right around the world. So we may hear a little bit about that as he goes on as well. But let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the many encouragements we've had this morning about you coming to soften our hearts and to sort us out and to do things in us. And we know that that really matters as we come to hear from the scriptures. We don't want to be those who just hear something but go away unchanged. We want to be those who receive your word, whose hearts and minds and lives are good soil that receives the seed that can germinate and bring about fresh life in us. Lord, we ask for the grace to receive your word in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have Bibles with you, would you please turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. So Steve says we're doing, at the moment, a mini-series on uh, being a disciple. Steve started last week by talking about, well, simply the importance of being people who follow Jesus and try to imitate Christ. Uh, He spoke, I think, but I didn't listen to it, but he told me this is what he was going to say. He spoke about being willing to change. Uh, holding nothing back from Jesus, counting the cost as we follow him, and looking for change, that God really should transform and change us. And I'm going on this morning to talk about being disciples through training by people. There are some people who imagine that, you know, it's all about me and Jesus. I have this relationship with God, direct relationship, which of course is true. We all have the privilege of having a direct relationship with God, Um, but it's like he speaks to me as I read the Bible and so on. Well, that's absolutely true as well. Uh, And as I pray, he talks to me. In dreams, he may talk to me as well. All of those things are true, of course, but some people sort of think, that's all I need, Jesus and me. And I want us to think about another aspect of discipleship, which is perhaps that there is Uh, someone else who can help you to grow in your Christian life uh, through training. Now, the truth is, the need for training, I trust, is obvious. I mean, whatever you are, whether you're, well, kids need training. There we are. Kids need training, don't they? Uh, That's a good place to start. And you know, kids don't train themselves. And if you just leave them to grow up on their own, they grow up indisciplined and running riots and running rampant and all the rest of it. Who knows that kids need training? I love the sort of atmosphere that goes on, you know, here when we worship God. I love the kids having freedom in the house of God to, to enjoy themselves and rejoice and shake their flags around and, you know, poke the eyes of the front people out, you know, as they do it and all the rest of it. 
I think that sort of freedom is wonderful. But you may have noticed that at a certain point, uh, mothers and fathers went just to exercise a little bit of steering uh, and control uh, so that, uh, or training or something so that they didn't run completely right. So freedom is lovely, but training is important as well. Athletes need training. All those, all those athletes who are coming to this country next year are in training already. Musicians need training. Chris, did you have any training to play the keyboard? <laughs> Wrong question. Did you have any training to, to play any instrument? Ah, right, okay. Thank you very much. Which instrument did you have training in? Violin. Violin. Oh, there we are. Uh, but uh, he's just brilliant, and once you can play one instrument, you can play a few, can't you? That's the way. Oh, oh dear. I've, I've talked myself into a problem here. <laughs> you have just undermined my whole talk. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to suggest that we need training, and um, I'm a keyboard player, but I had to do quite a lot of training uh, as, as I was growing up. Um, tradesmen, they need training. Linguists need training. Have we got any linguists here? Yeah, we've got a few. You need training. Is that right? Some of you come here for training. Okay. Scientists. Have we got any scientists here? A handful, yes. Uh, some people are not owning up to this very much, I have to say. Well, I'm half a scientist. Or, um, thank you very much. Yes, we've got, we got some people who will own up to this. Ah, Christians. Well, maybe they need training as well. Have we got any Christians here? Ah, right. We're in the right place then. And uh, ministries need training and so on. So let's read a few verses from Mark chapter 1. This should be so obvious, but in the church of Jesus it hasn't always been obvious. And so we're saying, well, perhaps we ought to return to the obvious in our training of people. So here we are. Here's Jesus' training. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This, of course, is the story of Jesus' disciples, but you do wonder what Zebedee thought about that, don't you? The sort of family business being broken up uh, by this man calling some disciples. Turn to Mark chapter 3. And verse 13, and you have a sort of an advance in this story of discipleship. Jesus went up on a mountainside, Mark chapter 3 verse 13, and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, 
James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. You know what they were like. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, this is the story of Jesus calling his disciples so that he could train them. So he could impart what was in him to them. The faith, the relationship with God, teaching about the kingdom of God, how God's kingdom operates in the world, could teach them how to heal people, pray for the sick, cast out demons, all those sort of things. This was part of the training for these early disciples. Now, first thing I want to say is ever so simple, really, uh, but just to stand back for a moment and say, it's obvious, but I didn't want to leave it out. Sometimes we cannot state the obvious, and we should state the obvious. It's obvious that parents are the first trainers. So, some of you escape at this point. You can just sort of sit there on pause or something if you want, and I want to talk to parents for a moment. So, thank you for sitting on the front row uh, so that I can talk to you and, and so on. Uh, Parents are the first trainers. Who can tell me what Proverbs 22.6 says? Shout it out. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So you are the first people. It's unfortunate you sat on the front row, isn't it? Because you're going to be the stooges this morning. All right. So... Uh, So, you are the first people to train your children as disciples. Now, of course it happens, you know, through the church and in in, uh, Sunday activities for the children and so on, but it happens even before there, it happens at home. That's where it starts. So, parents are the first trainers. Wave to me, parents, please. Thank you very much. Yes, you're the first trainers of your children don't leave it don't leave it to Sunday school activities don't leave it to leave it to kids classes don't hope that they catch it eventually teach them and train them Uh, and you need to have with them long-term agendas and short-term agendas so by the age of 18 what do you want them to be Well, hopefully you want them to be responsible citizens of, you know, the nation that you're living in or that you're part of or whatever, who also know and love the Lord Jesus, have faced difficulties and troubles in life and have overcome them through their relationship with Jesus. Maybe you feel it's important to teach them to drive. I had this feeling that it was important to teach all of my kids to drive before they left home. I thought that was a parental responsibility. With one or two, I was tempted to duck. (laughs) Because they weren't naturals uh, at the wheel. But we persevered. Uh, I had one of my children get out one day of the car as I was trying to sort of, well, if that's how you're going to talk to me, I'm off. Uh, Anyway, we had these mini explosions, but it's all part of the training process. Parents, what are your long-term agendas? And the most important thing, of course, is 
that they know the God who made them, that they know Jesus who came to die for them, and that they're in touch with him. They don't just catch that, or they, they will catch your faith, but they need to be taught and trained. Things need to be talked through and so on. And then you have the short-term agendas. What are we dealing with now? And at every age, parents, you have some training to put in. That's parenting. If parents don't train their kids properly, kids are self-willed and self-centered. And one of the things that we want to teach our kids is not to be self-centered, but to serve others. And that starts very, very early on in life. And of course, kids start by being very self-centered. Whenever they cry, they get latched onto the breast and they have a drink. You know, it's all about me and my needs. And at a certain point, children need to be weaned not only from the breast, but from self-centeredness, so that they learn how to serve others and let other people play with their toys and be generous and etc., etc. You understand what I'm talking about? You think, this doesn't sound like discipleship. Oh, yes, this is discipleship. And it starts in the home. And for those of you who... You know, I've never really heard this stuff before. Well, think on it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very, very important. Perhaps, therefore, parents need some training. That would be helpful, too. Because the funny thing about parenting is you get married, you have this idea you'd love kids, and you get pregnant, this baby arrives, and you haven't a clue what to do. Is that true? And so you make all your mistakes on the first one. And then you think when the second one comes along, you know now what to do. Only the second one has a totally different character and personality, and you have to learn it all over again. But newly sort of experiencing this parents, there is a lot of experience you could draw on from those who've made many, many more mistakes than you and who perhaps have some wisdom to offer you. Anyway, I'm just lobbing that in so that we don't forget the home as a place of discipleship. Okay? Very important. Okay, now, those of you who are on pause at the moment, uh, press play. Okay, here we go. Let Let me try and share with you Jesus's grand plan for discipleship because because Jesus did not do things accidentally in Mark chapter 1 which we read together it says Jesus came preaching the kingdom and then he called disciples that was not a sort of accidental uh, thing oh I'm preaching the kingdom what shall I do next oh how about having a few disciples That was not a sort of an an accident that he did it that way. This is just the next thing to do. No, no, no. This was part of Jesus' strategy. He came saying, the kingdom's here. Next step, he called disciples. Okay, so he called disciples and he had a particular view in mind. He was going to have 12 disciples, live with him for three years, And he was going to invest in them everything that was in him. And after three years, he was going to have 12 apostles. It says that in Mark chapter 3. It says he called these people to be with him. List 12 names. 
designating them apostles. In other words, he had a purpose in view. Discipleship is not just something to make us feel a little bit better. It's supposed to train us up completely for a life of service for Jesus. Okay, so this was Jesus' big design. The kingdom's here. He called his disciples. He designated them apostles in order that he could send them out into his world. Now, he had a particular reason for calling 12. Because he was going to start a new people of God. Just as there were 12 tribes in Israel, so he had 12 founding fathers that were going to be with him. That was what was going on in this calling of 12. But that's another story, and I don't want to get sidetracked on that. (laughs) And this was Jesus' strategy. Discipleship was Jesus' strategy for getting his kingdom into the earth. So the kingdoms here call disciples, train them to be apostles, That's how the kingdom gets in the earth. At the end of his life of ministry, Jesus said, all authority is given to me. In other words, I'm the king. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is how the kingdom gets into the world. How does the kingdom get into the world? By 12 disciples becoming apostles to go and make more disciples of all nations so the kingdom of God advances in the world. This is Jesus' grand strategy. So, it's important that we understand that discipleship is of huge importance to us, like the training of musicians or athletes or plumbers or whatever it may be, so that we can become the best that we can be. So discipleship is a gift to us to train us up into being all that we can be, but it's much more important than that. That's a very... I mean, Jesus does want you, Joe, to be the best that you can be, but he's got something far, far bigger in his mind than that, which is this. This is the means of getting his kingdom into the earth. And when Joe McCop is fully formed as a disciple of Jesus and becomes an apostle in the world, then the kingdom starts to come around him. So we want the kingdom to come in his business and the kingdom to come with those guys that he does business with and the kingdom to come with those he manages. Jesus has a vision for his kingdom coming and that is multiplied in every single one of us. Now, wave a hand, students, please. Okay, you... You have a great opportunity, which is to be trained up as disciples so that you can be sent out into the university and become apostles of the kingdom in the universe. In the university. In the universe. In the university. Or, if you think it, you know, that might be too soon, at least you could be trained up here as a Christian while you're at university in order to prepare you to go out into God's world when you exit from university, not only as someone who's trained in a skill or a, a, you know, some particular branch of learning, but also as a kingdom person who can take the kingdom of God wherever you go. Now, there's a vision for you. And it's, it's not just a small vision about me being developed to my full potential, but me taking my place in God's world 
and his desire to see the kingdom come in the nations of the earth. Amen? On that basis, is there anybody here who'd really like to be a disciple? Here's the problem, you see. You can't be an apostle without being a disciple. Discipleship precedes apostleship. Right? There's a process of learning in the kingdom of God that precedes being a disciple. So, here's a question. Is there another way? Is there another way to become all that God wants us to become or to take our place in bringing the kingdom? Answer, no. Just thought I'd put this straight. There is no, there's no sort of, you know, well, can I take a shortcut from the discipleship route? No. Uh, can I sort of weave my way around it? So it, can I do a distance learning course? You know, where I don't actually have to be trained by a trainer, uh, you know, but uh, could, could do it from studying at home a few books in my... No. Okay. John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 uh, are all about us being in Christ and us living the life of Christ and us being part of uh, Christ's people and so on. And Jesus says this. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. Discipleship is about pruning. It's ultimately about fruitfulness. That's, that's the goal we need to keep our eyes fixed on. But what God wants to do is to cut off stuff that's sort of dead, dead works, things that don't count, things that aren't going to do you any good. He wants to cut that stuff off. And then things that are good in you, he wants to cut and train as well. Now, I don't know how many gardeners we have here. I'm an applied gardener. I'm not a natural gardener. I grew up in Liverpool, and we had a backyard, and my dad's idea was the more you can cover with concrete, the better, because then you don't have to cultivate it. Uh, I'm afraid that was my dad's sort of philosophy. So I grew up with that and don't really have a heart for gardening, but but I had to learn a thing or two on the way, and, and my wife is a very keen gardener. At least, she's keen that I should be a keen gardener as well. Uh, and we like the place to look, to look nice. I still struggle with the pruning process. You know, we have a, a rose bush, a rose bush going up the side of our house, and, you know, it starts to grow a bit sort of straggly. This is exactly what's happening at the moment. And I know what Lorraine is going to say to me. We need to prune that rose bush. And what I will do is I'll take the pruning shears and I'll give it a gentle trim, just a little haircut. You know, because I don't want to damage this tree. And she will come along behind me and say, well, thank you for clearing all those overgrown branches. Now I can prune this properly. And this thing will virtually disappear as she goes right down to, you know, a couple of feet and, and lops the whole thing off. And I say, you killed it! And she says, you watch next year. It'll be better than ever. The pruning process is something most of us don't like. 
We don't like it being done on us. So if somebody starts, you know, I think you need to deal with this or change this or this attitude isn't good. No, no, I'm not going to, you know. Do you notice that? Just... I'm not, I'm not going to sort of, you know, submit to that. I'm not going to do that. I'm all right. This attitude. No, no, no. You've misunderstood me. It's the sort of thing you get when you challenge certain attitudes in people. Everything rises up. We don't like the pruning process. Some of us don't like pruning and training others either. You know, we want to keep everybody nicely encouraged and feeling good and so on. And sometimes God wants to say, Do you know, what? I want to cut this attitude out because that doesn't belong in the life of a Christian. I want to cut out this rebellion because that doesn't belong. In and I want you to understand what it's like to submit to me. Pruning is the only way to fruitfulness. So if you want to come become a disciple, we might have less hands showing now, because I asked a moment ago, who wants to become a disciple? Here's the next question. Who wants to be pruned? Oh, okay, all right. Okay, all right. Those hands, I watched, I took a photo in my mind. Right, I've got you. Okay. Quite a few are signing up for pruning. That is really, really good. Um, Is there another way? No, because it's disciples who go and make disciples in all nations. Uh, Didn't you love hearing from Ben and Michelle this morning? That was so exciting. So exciting is the mixture of they're there to do the stuff, but God's doing the stuff as well. Wasn't that wonderful? That guy who had the dream, you couldn't have done that, but God did it. But they were there. They were there when God spoke to lead the guy right in. It was so wonderful to hear from you. Our great desire in this church, and has been for years and years since we planted it, I want to say this to any new students today, was that people should come here and see the kingdom, get infected with the kingdom, and take the kingdom wherever they go. Wherever, it's, not, it's not to keep everybody here. It's exactly to do what Ben and Michelle are going to do and what others in this congregation have done over years, to go to nations, to take the kingdom to nations. Uh, and if we're going to take the kingdom to nations and have a global vision for God's kingdom, we're going to need to be disciples first and foremost and trained by others, pruned by others and by the word. Many of us love... This verse here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says to Timothy, and Timothy was one of Paul's disciples. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, what you heard from me, entrust to reliable people who will go and teach others. So we have here four generations of disciples. Paul, Timothy, reliable men, others. You say, where did Paul get his discipleship? Well, He got it in a mixture of places. (laughs) One was that he spent three years in the desert. And, you know, he learned quite a lot of stuff from God in the desert. There perhaps weren't that many apostles willing to disciple Paul at the time. They were very suspicious about Paul. 
because uh, he was the one who had seen Stephen off and, and all the rest of it. He was the one who persecuted the church. They were very suspicious about him. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, Paul would never have been accepted in the early church. And it was Barnabas who said, no, this guy is all right. He's had a genuine conversion. We need to have him in. But Paul got his training. Actually, he didn't start ministering for years. Uh, maybe 11 years, maybe 14 years. We're not quite sure of the time scales because it's quite a bit hard to piece them together from the New Testament. It's either 11 or 14 of formation for Paul. He had to go and sit quietly sometime while you know, Barnabas introduced him to the church and said, this guy's all right, and introduced him to the apostles and said, this guy's all right. So Paul had his training. Paul trained Timothy. This is a wonderful story. Paul, you can find it in Acts chapter 16 and 17 and then one or two other scriptures as well. But Paul meets Timothy while he's traveling around and says, I like that guy. And he takes him along with him on a journey, a missionary journey. There is no better place to learn from someone else than to go with them while they do the kingdom business. This is not a forum of discipleship. This is a place of teaching, envisioning, encouragement, I hope. I hope you'll feel that at the end of it. That's what, that's what this is about. It's about imparting something, envisioning for something, inspiring faith and vision and so on. But this is not a forum for discipleship. Discipleship happens when we get alongside people who are doing the kingdom business and learn from them while, we're, uh, while, while they're about the business. So Paul takes Timothy. They travel together to another city called Troas. Then eventually Timothy leaves, uh, sorry, Paul leaves Timothy in a city uh, called Berea. Actually, Berea was a Bible-based sort of place. And I don't know if that's why Timothy was left there, but he was left there with Silas in Berea. And then Paul sends Timothy, he gives him some responsibility, he sends him uh, to uh, Andorastus, to Macedonia. And then... Paul travels through Macedonia with a whole team of people, a team of nine people, including Timothy. So Timothy's getting this training as he goes along. He's being developed as he goes along. Paul takes him with him. Paul recognized his gifts and talents. He built relationship with him. You can't do discipleship in a classroom. You can only do discipleship in life. It has to be a life relationship. And what I like about the missional community approach that, that, that we're seeking to develop here now, the leaders are seeking to develop in the church here, is that it's about learning on the missional job. That's discipleship. And as much as possible, we're trying to get all our discipleship relationships happening in those missional communities. That's slightly another story. He trains Timothy. Paul trains Timothy by bringing him alongside him, giving him a role, and giving him responsibilities. After a bit, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this about Timothy. He says, of no one, no one quite like Timothy, who has a kindred spirit with me, who sees the same things that I see, and has the same heart that I have, and loves the work of the kingdom like no one like Timothy. Where did Timothy get it from? He got it from a discipleship relationship with Paul. 
This is the process of training and discipleship in the church. Eventually, eventually, and here's a little interesting thing. Paul sends Timothy as his delegate to oversee the large church of Ephesus. This was a significant church. This was a powerful church. A large, it was a serious responsibility. Now, Paul's input to Timothy goes up a notch. So the letters that we have from Paul to Timothy are while Timothy's in Ephesus. Because when leaders start leading groups of God's people, then if you go off track, they go off track. The danger for leaders going off track is very important. So for them to have, so Paul starts writing, says, Timothy, do it like this, do it like this, do it like this. Think about this. For goodness sake, watch your own character. Don't get caught up with money. Don't get caught into arguments with people in the church. Don't do it. And Paul is actually quite directive with Timothy about how he should and how he shouldn't lead. He tells him to avoid distractions, to keep Christ at the center of his focus, to fight the good fight of faith, to fight for faith. I think that's what you were telling us, Michelle, you were fighting for, you were fighting for faith. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the fight of faith. So in other words, it's not just a three-year short-term process. The process continues. My testimony would be that while I've been in a discipleship relationship with other leaders who've had input into my life, and while I've discipled others, and I'm in a privileged position now of discipling many leaders, I still need someone to input me and challenge me and speak to me so that I don't go off track, so that I'm still teachable. That's a lifelong thing. Is there another way not to be as fruitful as God wants us to be? To ensure that we keep moving in our life with God. What do I need then to be a disciple? Let me try and share with you certain things. Well, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. And I'll finish off by reading these verses, making one or two comments. Isaiah Chapter 50 and verse 4. This is the servant of the Lord speaking. The servant of the Lord was both a picture of Old Testament Israel who was supposed to speak to the nations for God and a picture of the Messiah who would come to speak to all the nations about God. This prophecy is about this servant of the Lord who speaks on behalf of God. That, do you know that's not a small task, is it? Speaking on behalf of God. Those of you who are, you know, have come up to university this year, maybe, and you're being planted by God in, certain, in the college that you're in. It's not an accident. He's put you there because he, there are people he wants to speak to for him. Not just, not just have a good time. Have a good time by all means. You know, join the boat club, join the rugby club, get into the fabric of the college, do it. Get into the JCR. You know, 
take, take a place in the life of the college. That's very, very important for us as Christians. But maintain your distinct voice so that at times you can speak for God. The Sovereign Lord has given me, this is Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, the Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Who'd like that? An instructed tongue that knows the word that will sustain the weary. It can lift people up, encourage people. How do you get that? He wakens me. He wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I've not been rebellious. I've not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I didn't hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, who then will bring charges against me. Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he who will condemn me? You'll hear echoes here of a very well-known passage in Romans chapter 8, those of you who know your Bibles. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now, All you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you'll receive from my hand. You'll lie down in torment. Now, there's some contrast going on in this passage. I want to try and explain what they are. I'm answering the question, what do I need to be a disciple? Well, the first thing you need is a discipler or a coach or a personal pastor or a mentor. These are all words we use in the church to try and help people understand that What we need is an individual relationship with someone who can disciple us and train us in the ways of the Lord, in the character of of Jesus, and so on. So you need to find that. If you say, well, that's what I want, how do I find one? I suggest you talk to one of the elders or the student team, and they will help you to find one. So that's the first thing. But the second thing that you need is a disciple's ear. He wakens me morning by morning. He's, you may think, where does that dugout thing come from? It says, in the Hebrew, it says, he has dug out my ear. That means he's dug out all the wax. Sorry, this is a very sort of... The Hebrews were lovely down-to-earth people, you understand, and they talked about things very naturally. He's dug out the wax so that I can hear. And... That's what we need if we're going to be discipled. We need to have ears that are eager to hear and willing to hear, whether the wax and the crud has been dug out and we're ready. And Jesus said, he's given me a disciple's heart. I'm not rebellious. Let me ask a question, very honest question. How many rebels are there here? Who doesn't like being told what to do? Who doesn't like conforming? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. 
right? a disciple's heart that's not rebellious and say, no, I'm not like that. Uh, well, perhaps I need to think about that. Now, this is not to say, please, please understand me. This is not to say that everything a disciple says to you, you have to swallow. But you do have to pray about it. You do have to take it back to God. Just a few months ago, uh, I, was, I was on a, in a busy patch. If you ask Lorraine, she'll say that's most of life. But I was in a busy patch, and I... Uh, I had a phone call from a very close friend of mine. His name is Barney Coombs. And I'd had a phone call with him the day before. So I was a bit... I wasn't ready for this phone call. It was late at night. Uh, it was about half ten, eleven o'clock. I had just come in after a very long day. And uh, Barney came on the phone. He said to me, Barney... Uh, he said to me, Steve, we had this call last night, but I was troubled when I came off the phone to you. And I said, oh, um, what about? But I was tired. This wasn't, you know, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying how it happened. And I was tired. And um, it was annoying and irksome to me that he was troubled and trying to get me to think about something because I was in momentum. That was, I had made a decision to do something, and he was firing warning shots across my bows, and I didn't want to hear them because that would slow me down. And so I said, what's that, Barney? In not very nice tone of voice. And he said, well, when you talked about this brother and this situation, I felt your heart was less than redemptive. And, uh, you know, you were just being a little unkind. So I said, no, I wasn't, Barney. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I I think you misunderstood. Uh, No, I really love this guy. You know, I'm really, really sort of, you know, I really do uh, love him and appreciate him and want the best for him and all the rest of it. But, you know, we need to get on with this thing. And, uh, I mean, I really gave him the pushback. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be told. That's the truth of the matter. I didn't want to be told. And so Barney did what he always does. Uh, And he said to me, well, Steve, uh, I understand understand you're tired. Uh, (laughs) That was just a little sort of, you know, a little warning to me. You know, you might not be seeing this as clearly as you should. But I understand you're tired. Will you promise me you'll just take this back to the Lord? In other words, you'll pray about it. And I said, anything to, anything to get rid of Barney. I said, anything to get rid of I said, yes, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> I'm afraid, you know, this is, this is not good, it's not kind, but does anybody sympathize with me? Yeah, yeah, well, you think you understand the sort of, sort of picture that's going on. So... And I go to bed, and I don't think about it for another minute uh, because I'm tired. And I, and I go to bed thinking, he doesn't understand. It's easy for him to jump on me. I've got to make the difficult decision here. Uh, you know, da di da di da And if he'd lived with what I'd lived from this brother over the last few weeks, he would understand a bit more. That's what, so I'd, I went to bed, and I didn't pray about it. About 4.30 in the morning, I woke up. 
I have to say, those who know me know that's not, that's not unusual. It does happen. But as I woke up, you know, sometimes, uh, well, I have to say, this, this is how it is for me. I think, Lord, I just need to go back to sleep. And other times, I know it's because I need to get up. Well, this time, I knew I needed to get up, but I didn't. Because uh, I didn't want to do business with God. I think there was something like that going on. And so I lay there in bed, but there was no more sleep was coming. It was just not coming. And Lorraine was very comfortably asleep by my side um, and enjoying it. And There's nothing worse, is there, when somebody's enjoying their sleep by your side. Anyway, she was enjoying it. It's, I mean, that's a role reversal. It's normally the other way around. But anyway. Uh, and so I said, okay, Lord, what's your perspective of this situation? And, and I felt God say to me, well, actually, Barney's right. You've hardened your heart to this brother. You need to change. And you need to open your heart to me, because while you've got a hard heart, I can't use you. And as a leader, if you're hard's heart, you're in trouble. So, Listen, Barney was very gentle with me compared with God. And when I started doing business with God, this was, you know, it got worse and worse. This was about my hardness of heart and how I was no use to him, you know, if I didn't <laughs> repent and get myself sorted out. And, and uh, anyway, I, I repented and did business. All I'm trying to say is we all need people to provoke us, people to train us, people to watch over us. We need a disciple's heart that's not rebellious. And at that point, my heart was pretty hard and rebellious. I didn't want to hear something else that would force me to change. We need hearts that are disciples' heart, not rebellious. And finally, we need a desire to live in God's light, not our own light. At the end of it, it says, Let him who walks in the dark, this is verse 10, who has no light... Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. In other words, if you know that you don't see things very clearly, you better press into God and get things from God. But he says, but let him who thinks he knows it all and walks in the light, live in the light of his own fires that he's lighting, but you'll lie down in torment. It's a little little bit of a sting in the tail, isn't it? And God's saying here through the prophet Isaiah, we need a desire to live in God's light. And the servant of the Lord lives in God's light, not our own light. And let me tell you where discipleship really works. Discipleship really works when we want genuinely God to be Lord of all. When we've elected God to be God in our hearts, we want God to be Lord above everything else. It's the most important thing. So I'll live in submission to others because I want God to be God. My own will, my own desires, my own pride, none of those things will accomplish the will of God in my life. I want to be a disciple. And maybe I can be an apostle. So,
I want to encourage us to walk in these relationships. You know, some of us have personal pastors. Oh, yeah, well, I go to them. Well, how often do you go to them? How much are you submitted to them? What do you talk through with them? Have you been pruned in the last month? Perhaps we need not the formality of a personal pastor, but the reality of walking side by side in discipleship. And uh, for those who feel they're in a relationship, discipleship relationship, you've got a mentor or a coach or something, but actually it's not really working, well, make it work. Talk to your mentor or coach. Say, you know what? You're too nice to me. I want you to challenge me a bit more. Because I want the character of Christ to be formed in me. And where you see stuff that's not godly, I need you to challenge me. I don't want you to be nice to me. (laughs) We need to bring those relationships clearly in line with God's heart. That We should be trained up to be all that we can be and then effective servants for the kingdom. If you're here and actually this is new to you, well, we want to offer it to you. Let me ask the elders to stand up. Can I ask the elders here to stand up? Here are the elders of your church. And the other elder is sitting upstairs in the Welcome Cafe at the moment. That's Simon, who is on the platform here. If you want... Where's the um, student team? Where's the student team? Okay, all right. Well, okay, and at the back there. Don't forget the guys at the back. Okay, if you are here and you think, actually, do you know what? I'd really love to have someone help me, disciple me, walk with me, you know, help shape me under God. Uh, why don't you see one of these guys? And they'll tell you how to find a personal pastor or a disciple or a mentor or coach or whatever you want to call them. We don't care what you call them as long as it works. Amen? Okay, please sit down, guys. And let me say finally this. I I felt this morning, I'll just submit this to Steve. Well, I won't submit it, I'll just share it, and then you can do what you want to do with it, because if I was submitting it to him, I'd have told him first. Um, I, I felt this morning that there were people here with a hunger for God. You really want to encounter God, and God wants to encounter you. And at the end of this meeting, you know, come forward for prayer. Um, it's been a sort of funny meeting one way or another, hasn't it, with songs without words and... Uh, anyway, we don't need to go into that. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. God's here. Yeah, yeah. And if you're hungry for some encounter with God and you really just need to meet God in certain situations in your life, why don't you come forward for prayer? And I felt in particular there were some people who really needed to hear a word from the Lord. And we have people here who who have a prophetic gift. And if you want to hear from the word of the Lord, we'd happily you know, point you in their direction and sort of say, let this person pray with you and see if they get something from God for you. There are no promises here. Uh, and there's no pressure for the prophets. But, but that's what God does, and that's how God uses people. And uh, uh, if you need a word from the Lord, a word of direction, yeah. light, wisdom, Uh, then come forward and sort of say, do you know what, I need to hear something from God because I believe God wants to speak this morning.